Welcome to Wistful Thinking, the podcast where we invite a guest to revisit pop culture from their childhood. I'm Jordan Poland-Clark, and with me is my co-host, Kara Gail O'Regan. Hi. And our very special guest, Joey Lewandowski. Hi. So Joey really quickly actually volunteered to be our first guest on this podcast. Um, And Joey wanted to watch the movie Casper from 1995, starring Christina Ricci, Bill Pullman, and Devin Sawa. Although he's only in the movie for one second, I feel like it's really important that he was in this movie, (laughs) (laughs) which we can talk about later. Uh, But Joey, why? It, It seemed really easy for you to choose this. Why? I don't remember who I was talking to, but like within a week before of you saying this idea to me, I was talking to somebody else about Casper, and I was like, I want to rewatch Casper, because I haven't seen it in forever, and I I wasn't sure if it was going to be good or not, because this is a movie that when I was little, but also like doing the math, I wasn't that little, because when this came out in theaters, it was 95, so it was probably on video either 95 or 96, so I was seven or eight, probably, so I guess I was little, but not like, I remember being younger, but whatever, this is a movie that, for some reason, we never bought, but our grocery store had a video rental spot, and you could rent a video for a dollar for a night, and we rented this, I don't know, 30 times? Like, we, we, we spent more money on renting it than we would have spent on buying it. <laughs> I don't know why we did that, but I guess it was just like, oh, we have to watch this tonight because we paid a dollar for it, as opposed to just owning a VHS and then you know, maybe never watching it. I don't know. Um, But I loved this movie when I was little. I watched it so, so many times. It was like this and Richie Rich and maybe one or two others that I just watched a lot of. This explains so much. (laughs) It also really kind of explains my lifelong crush on Christina Ricci, Mm -hmm. I think. Um, But yeah, it's... uh, I was, I was, I think, I think the big thing, I'm just guessing here, that when you do this half of the podcast, I feel like people are going to be afraid to go back and revisit things, because I've also realized in recent films, like last year, my favorite movie was American Honey, and I only saw it once last year, and I realized I'm afraid to rewatch things I love, because I'm worried that I'm not going to love them as much. I think that can be especially true about something that you loved as a child. Oh, yeah, for uh, that, sure. That was made for children. And I think we'll get into this a little bit more as we start talking about the movie, but there's a lot of stuff that doesn't hold up when they make something for kids. Uh, true. The plot, the plot can be pretty loose. It can go off the rails. And as a kid, you kind of don't really pick up on that kind of thing, and you don't care. Um, and going back to watch it again, you're like, wait a second. <laughs> um, so, Kara, had you seen this movie before? Yeah, I definitely saw it as a kid, um, but hadn't really seen it since. And I, I don't think that I would say that I like loved it as a child, but I've always been kind of spooky and weird. So, like, aesthetically, it appealed to me. Um, but it wasn't something that like stood out as a, a you know, important movie from my childhood I felt I I actually went through what things that both of you just said when I watched I had seen this as a child I really didn't remember very much of it when I sat down to watch it again I really could only remember the end part um so so Kara I kind of felt like you when I started but once Mm -hmm. I started watching it like I realized how important Christina Ricci was to my childhood same 
hard saying. I, I had yeah. I had no idea that I felt that way. Like she was so important. Yeah. Well, like Joey, I also have had a lifelong crush on Christina Ricci. <laughs> Haven't um, we all? <laughs> that's that's what I thought when when Joey said that. It was going to be like, well, we all do. Um, but I think mine came more from like, uh, be- not she wasn't in Beetlejuice. That was Winona Ryder. What was the other spooky movie that she was in? Adam's Family? Yes. Yes. Christina Ricci as Wednesday Adams in The Adam's Family explains so much about me and like m- my life, especially the second one. I think she was like the first like girl she was still a girl then that that uh, that I ever watched in something and was like oh that could be me yeah like I never identified with anybody like you know she was like a little bit older than me um but she kind of looked she did she wasn't blonde she's super pretty but not like traditional looking Mm -hmm. um and she's just, like, cool in everything that she's in. She looks a little bit goth. She's a little bit dark. She's super real. Because um, the other movie that she was in in 1995 was Now and Then, oh which God. was another movie that I just so loved. Um, and I feel like, like, so I was, I was nine in 1995. And I feel like that's when you kind of start to be able to, like, in a way, see how you might fit into the world almost. Mm-hmm. Um, and like somehow, apparently I had no idea about any of this, but she helped me do that. I feel like, yeah, that makes sense. I don't know. Joey, you probably just thought she was like a cute girl. It's probably different if you're a guy watching this. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't remember really having a, I don't know. Cause we talked about recently, what were we, oh, it was on Zack Attack when we did the 17 again episode. I think my real, real first crush in a movie was, Michelle Trachtenberg and Harriet the Spy, because I remember that vividly, like, oh, this girl's really cute. I think I unknowingly had a crush on Christina Ricci, but, like, watching her in this movie, like, she's just so adorable and cute and likable. Like, how old is she in this movie? Like, 13, maybe? Probably, yeah, like 12 or 13. That sounds right. Because she was older than me. I don't know. I just... I don't know. I honestly don't remember why I loved this movie so much when I was little. I just remember that I watched it all the time. And I feel like that's kind of weird. Like, I don't remember. I remembered so much of this. Like, I think like you were saying, Jordan, I couldn't have told you what the movie was, like, about or really what happened in it. But every, like, as scenes happened, I was like, oh, I remember that. I remember this. I remember that. But what was also weird was that I definitely did not remember... Uh, the Ghostbusters reference, or um, Arnold Schwarzenegger, like all these like references that I didn't have in my head yet, or who else is it? Rodney Dangerfield's in here, and Mel all Gibson's these people, in it. Clint is Clint Eastwood is Clint in Eastwood. it. Dan Aykroyd's it's, in it. It's, yep, it's, it's all, amazing. I feel like you're overselling these cameos a little bit. Like they're <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, they're on screen for two second seconds, long. but they're all people that like I don't know who they I didn't know who they were then, but I can. That's definitely the kind of thing. I guess maybe similarly like to possibly to Pixar today when you have like a a very famous notable voice and adults are going to recognize it but kids just see it as like a fish mm-hmm. in Finding Nemo or something. And even the the priest at the beginning of the movie um was like a character that the comedian who played him had like cooked up in the 70s and had been on Saturday Night Live with and like a bunch of other stuff. 
um, that like I definitely didn't recognize as a child, but now do slightly more. But because I'm not old enough, I still don't exactly understand where it came from. That's what I I knew he must have been someone just because yeah. of the way they treated him in the movie. But I didn't get the reference because even like that SNL character was before my time. But I had to Google that because I knew he had to be somebody. Um, but I just think it's great. Like, it's crazy that they got all those actors to be in the movie for like one second. Mm-hmm. They and, even got, and uh, Steve, Steven Spielberg was supposed to be in it and he wasn't. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. <laughs> But so I, I feel like they they were trying to do the thing that Pixar is really good at now, where they make a, a kid's movie and also put enough references in for adults yeah. that it's, mm-hmm. it's watchable for adults. Um, I think this missed the boat on most of that. <laughs> Although, like, I was entertained, but I was entertained by the same stuff that, like, kids are entertained by. Like, I laughed when he tied all their shoelaces together and they fell down. Like, that was funny. Um, but I don't know. Joey, how did you experience this movie as an adult? I liked it. I think this is... What I was worried about was that I wasn't going to like it or I was going to, you know it was going to irritate me or something, but I enjoyed it. I was also trying to think if I had never seen it before and I watch it today, what I would think of it. And I don't think I would like it, but there is so much nostalgia built into this. And even the fact that the end of the movie, they're just like a, a party ends. Everybody leaves like, well, that's it. And like the movie ends, like the credits roll. I was totally okay with that. Like you were saying earlier that, you know, as a kid, you don't have this sense of, what a plot means or how a plot should wrap up. Like, I was just like, oh, that's a happy ending. Like, everybody gets what they want, and we're all good now. And so even though the ending is kind of abrupt, I still liked it here because I liked it when I was little. So this held up pretty much in every way from when I was little, which is, I think it's kind of the best rewatch that I could have hoped for. Because I know it's not the best movie, but there's nothing about it that, like, bothered me. And even, like, the, the, the what I think is kind of helpful is that the CGI of Casper and the three ghosts, like it's not meant to be realistic. And so because it looks cartoony, it holds up better than if they tried to make like realistic looking ghosts. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Although they did point. try. So, so I disagree with you a little bit in that there were a couple of things that happened in this movie that I was like, whoa, 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 what? <laughs> like, I like, so I was like pretty on board for most of it. And then there's this part where, um, where the, what's the, uh, bad woman? What's her name? Oh, uh, ca- um, starts with a C. Carrig- yeah, Carrigan, for sure. Carrigan Crittenden. Yeah. All right. So, so Carrigan decides sometime in the middle of the movie that she's going to kill herself. She has yep. this whole plan. Whatever. <laughs> it makes sense in the movie. It doesn't matter why. Well, because she wants to get the safe. <laughs> yeah. That there's a locked safe, and the only way that you can get in there is if you're a ghost and you're able to pull it out. Obviously. Obviously, right. So, so she decides to kill herself, and she... But then she dies by accident. Um, 
which was really shocking the way she died like she crashes her car and then falls out of her car down a mountain and then comes back as a ghost like i thought that was so shocking and and, but so so she comes back as a ghost and when she comes back as a ghost she looks like a person who's like transparent like they did try to make her look like a person which doesn't bother me that much but i did feel like was not consistent with how they presented the other ghosts which I think is weird. Yeah, the character design was definitely not consistent there. And then Bill Pullman, who plays Christina Ricci's dad, what's his name in the movie? I can't remember names. His name is Dr. James Harvey. All right, so Dr. James Harvey gets drunk and accidentally dies right after Kerrigan dies. <laughs> like, like very suddenly, he they just kill him. Which, and I like, I can't like, that's one of those things where as a kid you like are totally accepting of it but watching it now again i was like wait wait, wait, what he just he just died you just killed him um and so when he comes back too he also still looks like a person yeah those ghosts don't hold up as well (laughs) but i was just saying like the main ghosts like casper and then stinky and fatso and the other one that i don't remember they look okay i'm i i and they're in more way more than the other ones you know yeah, I agree. And this is the first film to have a fully CGI character in a leading role. Oh, look at that. And I think they did a really good job. Like, I feel like this, it could have, they could have tried to do stuff maybe that they weren't quite ready for. Mm-hmm. Um, and they really didn't. They really, like, knew what would look good, and it looks good. Um, and they, I mean, I, I have to say, like, as the writing was kind of whatever, you know, it's a kid's movie, but like the acting is really good. Like they're Christina Ricci and Bill Pullman are really good at acting against nothing. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Uh, This is another little tidbit that I think really um, makes a lot of sense about uh, Joey and how your life has, has shaken out, (laughs) which is that JJ Abrams actually did an uncredited rewrite of the script. Oh, so between the like that CGI so and the JJ Abrams, like this really does explain a lot. <laughs> this is this is a prequel to Lost. Yes. Yeah, definitely. You know what I this is completely separate. You know what I did not realize until just now is that the guy who directed this movie, Brad Silberling, directed another movie that's close to Mayan Jordan's heart, City of Angels, starring Nicolas Cage. He sure did. So this guy would go on I don't know if it's his next film or like very shortly thereafter, but he would go on to direct the movie that Cage did right after his action trilogy. So to have this wonderful movie that I loved into that movie, which I think standing on its own would be okay-ish. I mean, there are problems, and you can listen to our Cage Club review of that, our podcast of that, but it's it's weird that I think maybe the only two movies that I've seen him do um, were a couple years apart. So good good 90s for me, Brad Silberling. I think this movie is good 90s in general like like everything there are a lot of things in this that I like felt fond about from the 90s that showed up again like like Ben Stein was in it like he (laughs) he was in like every movie in the 90s being like a boring guy. (laughs) So did either of you get the sense that the little bratty girl at school like was somebody because I don't think she really went on to do anything. I actually wrote in my notes that she must be and I meant to look her up and I totally forgot. 
because her picture on IMDb is basically her at that age. So I don't think that she's still working. I think I think she's in a bunch of stuff, but nothing big. Because she's, she's not a huge part of this movie, but I do remember her from when I was watching this when I was little. Um, but she, she has this presence, and I guess it's kind of one note if she can't do anything else, but she seems... She's, in the role of, like, school bully or, like, the, the queen of the school or whatever, I think she's good in it. Yeah, I think I think all the kid actors are pretty good in this. Uh, can we, I think, can we talk about Devin Sawa now? Is it time? <laughs> like In his role as Casper on screen? Yeah, so Devin Sawa is in this movie for, like, four minutes. <laughs> well, he plays, like, a live Casper, right? Right, so at the end of the movie, Casper gets to be alive for, like, until 10 p.m. I don't know what time he starts being alive, but she, the the, oh, the it, ghost it mom, like we didn't talk about the ghost. <laughs> really, yeah, it feels like it's, like, 9.50. Um, so in, in this movie, um, the reason that um, Bill Pullman and Christina Ricci are in this big haunted house to begin with is because Bill Pullman is, um, says that he can talk to ghosts and, like, help them cross over to the other side but we get the impression that really he's just like sad that his wife died and he's like looking all over for his wife um so his wife christina ricci's mom shows up at the end of the movie she floats in and she's not a ghost she's an angel um and she... again totally inconsistent <laughs> yeah the, the this movie, I thought, did a pretty good job of, like, following its own rules for, like, about a half hour, and then it was, like, all out the window. Uh, so so she floats in and uh, tells Bill Pullman that it's okay and everything's going to be fine, and she lets Casper be a boy again for ten minutes. Um, and so this is all during a big party at the, at the Haunted Mansion, so Devin Sawa goes downstairs and Christina Ricci's all sad and alone because everyone's having fun at the party without her. And he asks her to dance and they dance together. And he says, can I keep you? Which is like actually the only part of this movie that I remembered before it started. <laughs> um, and... And then he floats away again, and he's gone. But like well, they, they, they don't only dance; they like float dance. <laughs> That's right. He makes her and float. And no they one float notices. Together, except her, she notices, and she's kind of freaked out. But it's also important because Ghost Casper asks, can I keep you earlier when she's like, and that's that's the saddest scene in the movie when he's when she's like asleep, and he gives her a little ghost kiss, and she says, Casper, close the window; it's cold, and it's just like your heart breaks because it's it's Casper just wants like. What is what does Casper want? What is his unfinished business? I think his unfinished business is just like his life because he was a child. Um, yeah, which is actually interestingly, uh, the this Casper movie came out of a long history of like Casper comics and cartoons, and in all of those, like dating back to like the late '30s, it was always explained that he was a ghost because his parents were ghosts when they had him. Um, kind of, <laughs> What? Yeah, to to skirt around the uncomfortable topic of child death, basically. Um, like, but they actually return to that in this movie, and they they do address the subject of his death that he was outside, uh, sledding until way after dark, and then he got pneumonia, and then he died. So, 
because he died as a child, I think that's probably like his unfinished business is the rest of his life or love or, you know, one of those like grand things. Well, he also says like he's he explains all that to Christina Ricci and he says that he hung around because of his dad. Mm. Like, so obviously when he died, his dad was still alive and he says that he hung around to like don't know how he explains it it's not like watch after his dad or i guess just hang out with his dad because his dad was trying to invent this machine that would make him alive again lazarus so i so i guess he had to stay he had to not cross over to give his dad hope um but i wonder why and i guess i guess maybe he like i wonder if like casper in hanging around to try to give his dad hope, he started to have hope that he could be a real boy again one day. And he could be because he was in this movie. Like he knew the machine was still there too. So maybe that's why he didn't cross over. Like he was just waiting and waiting and waiting. And let's point out the craziest thing of all is that this Lazarus machine works. It does. And he, and he selflessly uses it to bring Bill Pullman back alive when Bill Pullman dies. Which, can we, why is there an open manhole cover right outside of the bar? <laughs> Wait, where is it? He's at the bar. He's getting trashed at the bar and doing drunk karaoke. And the ghosts are all going to kill him. And they're like, we can't kill him. He loves his daughter. And then he walks out the front door of the bar, ostensibly. And there's just like a sign that says like open hole or whatever. And he just falls in and dies. Yeah, that's... Uh... Like, three steps outside of a door. It's, like, in a movie filled with ghosts and reincarnation and all sorts of nonsense, that's the most unbelievable part. <laughs> that's what I, like, it was so shocking. to. I didn't remember that that happened. And it was so shocking when that happened. <laughs> I just... Well, the ugh. ghosts... The ghosts are trying to kill him because they think he's a good hang and they want to hang out forever, right? Like, that's why they're trying to kill him. That's weird, too. Well, because they're tired. I guess, I mean, we don't know what their unfinished business is either, Mm -hmm. but I think they're just tired of being the three of them. And they're like, we want to turn this trio into a quartet. So let's kill this guy who we've known for two days because, like, we'll want to hang out with him forever. It's all it's all strange, but it's also a movie that's only ninety minutes long. Like, it, there's not a lot of time to explain things or really develop reasons why. Which, when you're <laughs> Joey, seven years old and Joey, watching this, it's wait, totally wait, fine. wait, Joey. Most movies are only ninety minutes long, and they <laughs> well, do, and they do a pretty good job at explaining things. Look, I love Casper. <laughs> I know. It's a kid's movie. It doesn't matter because it's a kid's movie. They didn't have to do a good job. One thing that I really liked, and this is such a minor detail, is that the mom, Christina Ricci's mom, Amelia Harvey, played by Amy Brenneman, is the mom on The Leftovers. And so in this movie, she's last name Harvey. And in that show, she's last name Garvey. So I was like, that's very, very similar for the only two things I might have ever seen this woman in. Um, I think she's also married to the director. Is she? I think so, yeah. Um, Let me see. When I I actually, when I went to look it up on Wikipedia, I had already clicked on her because I had done it before when we watched City of Angels. She is married to Brad Silberling. Oh, she got married in 1995. I wonder if they met on set of Casper. I hope so. Or maybe they got married on the set of Casper. How spooky. Ghostly love story for the ages. 
Uh, so there is a couple of things in this movie that for me really didn't belong in this movie. And I want to know if you guys picked up on that too. Um, the first is that I'm pretty sure there was a dick joke in this movie. Yep. In the, in the vacuum cleaner, right? <laughs> yes. And I did That's not my nose or I, that's not my finger or whatever. He's, no, he has a really pointy head. Uh, that, that one ghost. And one of the ghosts says like, like, Hey, is that your head? And he goes, that's not my head. Yep. Like that's not why. Uh, I, I didn't that. hear it. I, I didn't hear it the first time. My roommate was like, "Wait, was that a dick joke?" And I was like, "Do we have to rewind this?" And she was like, "Yes." <laughs> so there's. I think there's a few different things that could have been. It's right after Bill Pullman takes the vacuum cleaner and sucks up the three ghosts into the vacuum cleaner, and they're all trying to fight their way out. And I think one says something like, "You know, your head's on my butt or poking me in the butt." And he says, "That's not my head." And it's like it could be any number of things, but it's probably a dick joke. Was that just like an improv? Like they were just like messing around, like making the dialogue for inside the vacuum cleaner, and they left that in. Like I I can't imagine someone. Do you think someone wrote that? (laughs) I think I don't know. Maybe J.J. Abrams did. (laughs) (laughs) I don't because like kids aren't going to know what that means, and they're still going to think it's funny. And then adults who pay attention are going to think it's funny because, like, I can't believe that's in a PG movie. I think it works. It was. It's. Uh, I liked it, obviously, but it was. It seemed a little off to me. The other. The other thing that I thought was weird was that Kerrigan says "bitch" two times. Like, why? Yes. Like, why? Why does she have to say that? Like, this is. It's a. It just like seems so off to me. Well, she says it twice, and uh, the guy who's from Monty Python calls her a bitch and says, I'm going to get a bitch just like you're a bitch at the very end. Like, they use it a few times. Like, it's it's, it, it's it, only it, at it the is... end, though. <laughs> like, this, this, like, I really think this movie starts to go off the rails, like, three quarters in. Yeah, I can agree with that. Like, everything just kind of starts to fall apart. I just, it was so weird to me that all of a sudden they were, like, (laughs) using bad language. And she also smokes a cigarette earlier, which is, like, something that was fine in 1995, but that you can't really, I don't think you can do that in a kid's movie anymore. No, definitely not. And if, I I mean, like, maybe you can, but it's it's pretty extremely rare. Even, like, for non-kids movies, uh, it's extremely rare to see somebody smoking on screen these days. Well, I think you need to, like, have a reason to do it. Mm-hmm. And here it's just because she wants to smoke a cigarette. Like, that's not really <laughs> yeah, a good she's, reason. She's just, like, standing angry, and so she smokes a cigarette. Like, the only other example I could think of where, like, s- like somebody smokes a cigarette in a kid's movie, like a live-action kid's movie, is, like, Cruella DeVille smokes cigarettes. Mm-hmm. But that's, like, it's so stylized, you know? Like, it's hardly even, yeah... We just watched Constantine for Keanu Club, and he's smoking cigarettes there, too, but that's rated R. Like, it's still shocking when you have, like, a disgruntled, you know, down-on-his-luck exorcist or whatever Constantine's job is, and even in an R-rated movie, it's still off, like, not off funny, but, like, it catches you off guard when somebody's smoking cigarettes. Like, we've done this really crazy societal, like, we're, we're removing cigarettes from everywhere, like in movies and in restaurants and everything. Like, they still exist. You still see people, see people smoking all the time, but it still feels weird to see someone smoke when they're smoking in a place that they're not supposed to. Or, like, at all on script. I remember um, 
when I was in art school, I took like a politics in the media class and we watched all the president's men and they, there's like never a frame of the movie where somebody isn't smoking. And it was so surprising to see um, that like they just, they walk right into an elevator with cigarettes and like all of these things that used to be like super commonplace that now to watch them in the 21st century seems like just bananas. Us 90 kids, we got like so well trained to be like, no cigarettes, <laughs> no drugs. <laughs> well, now I, I think it's actually like way more like it's way more normal and way more common to see people like smoking weed on screen than it is to see people smoking cigarettes. Yeah, yeah. I think that's true. Very weird. I never thought about that. That's very weird. There was also in this movie, like, I think one of the best like dad daughter exchanges uh it happened when like 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 first of all i think she part of what's so cool about christina ricci's character in this is that she's so honest with her dad like she's not she doesn't hide anything from him she she's like obviously a good kid it's not like she has anything to hide really but it's just that seems so rare like I certainly didn't have that relationship with my dad uh (laughs) well I think in 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 this movie like her dad is so um kind of overcome by grief that she winds up being the parent a lot of times like did you guys see that but that like she has to like step in and be an adult at least emotionally more adult than her father is Yeah, like, she's mad at him because they're always moving around, and, like, she has to go to all these different schools, and she's basically like, can you just get your shit together and let us stay in one place, please? Mm Mm-hmm. And even, like, my favorite exchange between them is when she's like, Dad, I found your credit card. And he's so absent-minded, I guess, that he's just like, oh, where? And she says, in your wallet. And then that little, like, back and forth about, you know, I want to look date nice. Like, that's how, like, honest she is. Like, that is great and sweet, and I love that. But it's just like he's such a mess. You're right. Like he's such a mess all the time. And it feels like he almost shouldn't be working at all. But I don't know what he would be doing otherwise. I also like how much how much is he getting paid for this job? I don't think he is. I think it's just the house. They get to live in the house for free. So he had to drive cross country to just like for free room and board? Uh I don't know. <laughs> money money isn't really a thing in this movie except for Kerrigan wants all the money. Like that's true. Did you guys think, as ladies, that Christina Ricci's dress at the end was way too big for her? Yeah, I'm, it I, wasn't that cute. I have to look it up real quick. Uh... So Casper, so she sets she sets up that room for Casper with his trains and all of his toys and everything, and then he's like, "Come with me," and they they go to the attic, and he pulls out his mom's, I guess, wedding, wedding dress. dress maybe? Yeah, that's definitely a wedding dress. And she, he puts it over her, and it's gigantic. And then she pulls the sort of, like, belty lace thing or whatever and ties it around. And so it's sort of form-fitting for, like, her waist down. But, like, she could have linebacker shoulders and fit in that dress, it seems like. Yeah. Yeah, and it, it – this is where, like, for me, the movie got kind of um, Tim Burton-y anyway. But it really felt like that scene in Beetlejuice where Winona Ryder has the wedding dress on. Mm. Um, but it was I I felt that also like it wasn't flattering on her and she was like like, she said she wanted to look nice but I would just like kind of wrote it off as 
it being Halloween, and then it's like, eh, whatever, it's Halloween. Right. I for, when I remembered what kind of party they were having, I was like, oh, I guess that you know sort of makes like she could be a dead ghost bride or something. That it sort of works. Can we also talk about how the teacher volunteers to have a party? Oh my god, I house? took notes about the teacher every time he was on the screen because he was so like he was so weird. <laughs> It's all very, very strange. I don't know. Maybe it's just because I haven't thrown a lot of parties. I feel like I'd, I'd never want to throw a party. Like, I, w- I want to go to one where I don't have to do the work. Yeah. And here, Christina Ricci and that bratty girl are both, like, sort of, in a way, fighting over who throws the party. Like, that girl's like, I wanted to be at my house. And, you know, all like, whatever, at my parents, blah, 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 blah. I'm like, why do you want to do all that work? Just, like, have be in the really creepy big house. And just enjoy it. Like, trash the place if you want, which they kind of do. But then the movie ends. Yeah, I don't know. I think it's, uh, like, at least for the the mean girl, it's like a power play, kind of, to have everyone coming to her home and be on, like, her home territory and uh, set it up in, like, just the right way. Whereas Christina Ricci is just trying to fit in and, like, trying to get people to like her and be her friend. And, like, what better way to do that than, like, inviting your whole class over for a giant party and you're cool old creepy house but in the end like christina ricci wins and gets to have the party not because she actually wins but because like they all think the house is haunted so they all want to go there which Mm -hmm. i actually like thinking back on it like maybe that's why the weird teacher was so excited to go because like he wanted to see too he was the only adult at this party that he did not (laughs) that he didn't have to chaperone like he just went just for fun yeah he went in costume just to have a good time with like i don't know hundreds of kids all, all 100 kids from her class. I thought it was just like a party for their class, but it seems like a party for the whole school. I don't know. This is like, the movie didn't go off the rails a little bit. Like, the house also got magically decorated the moment they all walked in. <laughs> like, it, it, it logic well, really ran out the window. maybe not magically decorated. The ghosts might have decorated it when we The were uncles? <laughs> yeah, why not? So here's a, here's a question for you two, getting it back to the central theme of this podcast. As people who saw this when you were younger and probably liked it but didn't have it, like, in your heart as this was one of your favorite movies as a kid, are you able to overlook this kind of plot inconsistency and, like, lack of logic and follow-through? And sort of are you able to, like, brush it off as, like, oh, it's just a kid's movie? Or does this kind of stuff bother you and really kind of hinder your enjoyment of watching this movie again? I don't know. I, it probably would depend on the day for me. Like sometimes that sort of stuff bothers me and then other times it doesn't. And then it depends on the movie and like how much, like how the balance is of like inconsistency and um, kind of just not holding together very well versus, you know, maybe it looks really cool or it's really entertaining in this other way. I was actually kind of bored watching most of the movie um, I actually enjoyed the end part more than like the first three quarters. Like once it starts getting extra weird is like when I kind of lock in and I'm like, yes. I agree. I really liked that. The, it, it dragged for me like in the middle. Yeah. Um, but I don't think I can look at it that like the way you are asking Joey, because I do like have so many thoughts and feelings going into it about Christina Ricci and about Devin Sawa and about like my experience 
watching this movie as a kid even if I couldn't remember having seen it uh but I actually I really liked it like I mean I already said like I laughed out loud more than once uh but but like thinking about it that like so so I feel like like I was talking earlier about how this like kind of like I was looking up to Christina Ricci and like you know the when when the Devon Sawa character like he was so cute when I was nine in 1995 you know like every girl was in love with him because he was also in Little Giants that year and he was really cute in that too and (laughs) but this like this like idea like she's really strong and powerful this whole movie like I I think she behaves in a way that like would be really good for a young girl to look up to Mm. but then at the end it's still like this guy who's not even a real guy (laughs) who comes and saves her you know like and like puts her in a wedding dress yeah like isolates her from the rest of the class actually i think casper might be an abusive boyfriend well that's that (laughs) and that's the thing that's what i'm getting at is like like so this is what we learned was like you sit in the corner and you wait for the guy to come get you the not real guy who's only yeah, gonna be like a human the, boy for the 10 guy minutes. who's only gonna be alive for ten minutes and then he's gonna abandon you forever. Um, like so, for all the really good like messages, I think this movie sends that message is like really really horrible, and I actually think I personally am still trying to recover from that message being thrown at me over and over and yeah. over again for my whole life. Girl, we all are. Right, we are right. Yeah. Like, so they, they tried, but they still really broke us a little bit by having it end that way. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to lay all of this at the feet of Casper. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's not like it's just Casper. I think the majority of the movie, Christina Ricci's character is like, you know, strong, like you were saying. Um, the biggest frustration for me, actually, watching it as an adult and like an adult who's obsessed with death is that this could have been a really um, effective and important and emotional tool for talking about grief. And it just doesn't really do that. Like you have these characters who, or at least um, Bill Pullman is like so steeped in his grief over losing his wife and the daughter who has lost a mother and like all of this stuff. I, like it's it's almost there, but again, like doesn't like stick the landing on talking about grief and, and the fact that it actually addresses child death, I think, is a really big deal, um, and is like another opportunity to you know talk about these issues that our like death phobic culture is so obsessed with shying away from. It's all here in this movie, but they don't really do much with it. That's a really interesting way of looking at it. And like hearing you say that along with like some of the other things that we've talked about, like I think that makes me think this movie is like a pretty mediocre movie that could have really been mm-hmm. something. Yeah. Although but it was successful. It was successful. And the haunted mansion, that like hall that they have the party in at the end of the movie, same place they filmed the Backstreet Boys video for everybody. I oh, think. that makes perfect sense. Yeah, I can that, see like, it. Spiral floor. Oh wow. Yeah. 
So. That's one. So one of the other reasons I wanted to start this podcast was because of a Backstreet Boys song that I re- <laughs> that I reheard and like listened to the lyrics and could not believe. Like, oh God. Okay, hold on. I have to think of what song it is so that this will make sense. Um, well, while while you think of that, I think this is a nice podcast that kind of blends together the two different things that the Cage Club Podcast Network does. Like we with the Sandra Bullock thing. When we get to that, when you get to that, I say we, but I'm not really involved in that. When you get to that, it's going to be like what we sort of started with Cage and Keanu and Zac Efron and stuff. But now we have Now and Again, which goes back and looks at the Now That's What I Call Music and sort of talks about where they were when, because a lot of, it seems like all the guests are kind of around the same age. Mm -hmm. So they're all sort of in middle school when those discs started coming out. And so this is kind of this beautiful, perfect blend of like filmography and nostalgia and it's it's an honest look back at like what holds up and what doesn't and you know it's it's kind of scary in how i guess personal it can be yeah i'm also really interested in having people who are not our age on this podcast um because i think to go back and have you know maybe for example someone who's like my mom's age look just like your mom in general just have her on yeah i'm gonna i'm probably totally gonna have my mom (laughs) on um but, you know, to have her go back and look at something and then hear her talk about it. And also for me to then also experience that thing, what I assume will be the first time. Just like I'm curious to see. I mean, I, you know, I think we've already established how easy it is to like something that wasn't good just because <laughs> you saw it when you were young. Um, so I'm really curious to like see something for the first time that somebody else really, really loves for whatever reason. That's that's what I think is going to be most interesting. And I think that there's going to be a mixture of, like, good and bad. Like, if people have this, you know, fondness or something that's genuinely good or, you know, maybe made for adults, like maybe the first grown-up movie they saw, you know, I don't know, what whatever it is. But, like, last year or two years ago, I saw A Christmas Story for the first time. And... I, I was like, this is a movie that I should have watched when I was little because I, I can't get into it mm-hmm. as an adult. Like, it just, there's no nostalgia there for me. So um, it's going to be interesting if you guys, I think it's going to be interesting if you have somebody on who loves a kid's movie, say, like Casper, but that you've never seen, and to look at it with fresh eyes as people, you know, 20 years older than the, the target demographic, like what that'll mean, you know? Yeah. yeah, I'm excited about that. All right, I found the Backstreet Boys song. Oh, yeah, what it's is it? A, so it's As Long As You Love Me, which, like, you know, great song. Love this album when I was a kid. Like, list, knew every word to every song, listened to it over and over again. And I heard this song again on the radio, and it all of a sudden sounded to me like a song about a man falling in love with a woman who was a felon. And... <laughs> Because it goes, I don't care who you are, where you're from, what you did, as long as you love me. Like, it, like, and as the song goes on, it really, really starts to sound like this lady is trouble. But he just, like, saw her one time and now, like, can't get over it and is going to follow her anywhere and do anything. Which, like, sounded insane. I just never heard it sound like that before. (laughs) Yeah, I don't think you're actually supposed to, like, listen to song lyrics, especially not... (laughs) Um, when it comes to like boy band lyrics, they're questionable. No, but some but... like 
like I've listened to like In Sync again since then, and the lyrics are stupid, but they make <laughs> sense. Like this didn't even make sense anymore, and like it it blew my mind a little bit because like it's weird to have something totally memorized and like you could go on autopilot, you could sing it, and then yeah. to go like wait wait what? <laughs> I don't know. So. <laughs> Guys, anything else to add about Casper before we're done? Let's see. Um... Bill Pullman would go on to be the president of the United States the next year. And he, like, and he's in Lost Highway. Like, that's the thing I couldn't get over the most mm. is like, like Lost Highway is one of my favorite movies, and he's like, kind of scary in it. He's like, like scary and like sometimes a little sexy and like really brooding, and. Like, completely, even though, like, I can see how he's the same guy, like, it's just the complete opposite of this, because he's so, like, he's he's warm in this, and yeah, mm-hmm. he's, like, a little bit out of it, but he really does seem really fatherly. So, like, I, I had never thought much about him as an actor before, and all of a sudden I so was like, maybe that Whoa. means he's a good actor. Yeah, he's a good actor, you guys. I don't Very know if versatile. you know. <laughs> <laughs> I I have a confession to make, which is that like up to half of us recording this, um, I definitely thought that he was Bill Paxton. Yeah, I thought that. Why aren't we talking about how he just died? And then I had to like double check on IMDb. I'm not good. I was. I was talking to Joey last week, and I was like so excited. I was like, "Yeah, we got to do." You were disappointed. I was disappointed that it wasn't Bill Paxton. Oh, well. boy. You know, it's nice to be able to talk about something timely, although I'm glad sure. Bill Pullman didn't die, and I'm very sorry yeah. for Bill Paxton that he did die. Yeah. Because who knows, who knows when this podcast will be released, but now at least you know when we're recording it. <laughs> um, Not to give it away or anything. Well, like I said before, so like before they made this movie, there had been uh, comics and cartoons and stuff dating back to the late 30s, and it was originally Casper the Friendly Ghost. And I just love this quote from the Wikipedia article. As his name indicates, he is a ghost, yet he is quite personable. <laughs> it's pretty wonderful. Yeah. Uh, were, do you think like he was the first instance of a ghost in pop culture who was not scary? Like he was nice? Like had there never been a nice ghost before that? Um, I don't know. I haven't done much reading on ghosts in popular media. If we were talking about, like, the Grim Reaper and the death figure, I would have answers for that. But I don't have answers about ghosts. Um, so I don't know. It's possible. Uh, late 1930s. Maybe. I'm just trying to think about, like, what other spooky stuff was happening around that time. But I don't know. After the movie, there were two live-action direct-to-video follow-ups to the film, Casper, A Spirited Beginning, and Casper Meets Wendy, which introduced Hilary Duff. That was her first. Oh, was she Wendy? I guess so. (laughs) Oh. Uh, And then there were also, those were followed by Casper's Haunted Christmas, which uh, starred Spooky and Poyle from the animated series spinoff from the animated spinoff of the first movie and Casper's Scare School, which were done entirely in CGI with no live action elements. 
They are often referred to as being prequels to the 1995 feature film, despite the fact that they heartily contradict the feature and do not appear to even take place in the same universe. When was... I'm going to... I'm asking Wikipedia now, but I wonder when the last Casper thing was made. Like, like how long did this go on for after this movie? Oh, like a while. <laughs> All right, Joey, anything else to add about Casper? Nope, I still like it. This is actually a movie that I own on... D- I mean, I own a lot of movies, but I own this on DVD because a couple years ago when I was working at Best Buy, they were selling... I think it was like... I think like Despicable Me had just come out or something, and they were selling like the stuffed minions, and you could buy a minion, or for the same price, you could get a minion and a DVD. And I was like, oh, I'll just take Casper. And I was like, <laughs> I don't know if I'll ever watch Casper again, but like, I want to own Casper. And then I finally was able to unwrap it and watch it for this. So thank you. Oh, that is so exciting. I'm so glad we could help you with that. I am too. Well, I'm glad that it didn't, um, it wasn't ruined for you, your childhood memories. It's going to be sort of a delightful train wreck when you have somebody on and like they hate something they used to love. <laughs> yeah. You made me, you made me want to watch Richie Rich again for sure now. Well, he has a McDonald's in his house. I loved that movie. Well, maybe maybe if this podcast goes on for on and on and on, uh, I'll come back on and do Richie Rich. In a few years, we'll watch Richie Rich. Yes. Because that was my Macaulay Culkin movie, more so than Home Alone or Home Alone 2. It was Richie Rich, oh, which I think mine is too. weird. No, it was mine too. Like, I watched Home Alone and Home Alone 2, but like I watched Richie Rich over and over and over. I loved that movie. No, I was more of a Home Alone kid. We all have our own Richie. Well, you guys, thanks so much for joining us on our very first Wistful Thinking. In two weeks, we'll be talking with the other Cage Club co-founder, Mike Manzi, about the 1995 Sandra Bullock movie, The Net. We'll see you then.